Okay, and welcome everyone to, God knows what episode number we're on, but it is episode Jack. Um, I am sure he needs no introduction because everyone knows who he is, but Jack, would you like to give us a quick overview of who you are, please? Oh, hi, my name is Jack Resider, and I am most known for creating the podcast Darknet Diaries. Um, it goes into stories of hackers and cybercrime and this kind of stuff, mostly in the storytelling sort of way of delivery, um, not so much in the newsy sort of delivery. Um, before that, I was a um, security engineer and um, just working heads down in firewalls and intrusion detection systems. SIMs and thing as well and that kind of stuff and yep so that's kind of it in a nutshell so thank you so much for joining us today um I think we've actually got quite a few questions haven't we Rob we wrote a few no, down we're actually... I have to say this is this is something of a, of a new step for us this is as Amy says this is episode eight and this is the first time we've actually done some prep we've thought about some questions beforehand <laughs> we've, we've yes i mean it's actually quite exciting i feel almost like we're we're sort of moving up a level from from complete hacking amateurs to barely capable hacking amateurs. It's, it's quite you know we haven't introduced the podcast we've introduced our guests but we haven't said welcome to zero fx or zero folks as i call it as you wish Yes. There we go. Well, I've already I've already fucked it up because I've got effects on my video here, and I know it's supposed to be zero effects, and I'm <laughs> bringing all the effects. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, excuse me. Look at the state of my back cave after after we interviewed. Uh, oh Jason my God, Street. My brain, is, my brain has given up. Yeah, Jason the Street last week, and uh, I got some serious man cave envy. I had to up my game for this week. I'm literally... The power's probably going to blow off in any second. Yeah, he's got quite the... He's I'm got like... quite the collection, yeah. I am literally just sat in my kitchen, as always, with a glass of wine, because I go for the actual zero effects. Effect. And, in fact, the zero effects. Anyway, yeah. Jack, again, thank <laughs> you. You digress, as thank usual. You. Yeah, this is this is no great. Jack, we 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 do have some questions for you. Um, if you don't mind, I'd like to start. Darknet Diaries is is really fascinating. Um, I'm I'm new into the industry. I started my cyber journey beginning of this year, and the when when I put out a thing saying, look, you know, I'm just getting into it. What should I be listening to or watching to sort of get me on my way to to give me some background and and info? And everyone said. Darknet Diaries, and that's not an exaggeration. It was just a bombardment of Darknet Diaries. Got to listen to that. And I, I have, I also have a very bad habit. I have to start at the beginning of something, so I'm nowhere near up to date. Um, I'm still way back in in the early teens, I think. I can't even remember where I am. But um, how, why, what, what inspired you to go the route of Darknet Diaries? Um, I think it was a show I wanted to hear and I couldn't find it. I mean, that's kind of a simple answer, but it's like, what is that show I want to hear? And, you know, being a security engineer, I wanted, I thought that there was high drama security stories out there, right? I mean, nation state actors hacking each other, um, 
ransomware is taking down a whole hospital. Like these are these are high stakes stories, and I don't think the news was was really doing it justice. Either they were overinflating it by not knowing what they were talking about, or they were only covering like the latest bit of it, but not really like giving you the background or what. Like it just wasn't covered properly. And I'm kind of a slow news junkie where I want to wait for four or five or ten years for like all of the stuff to fall out and then hear the whole story because often when we hear like a breaking news cyber attack we are all guessing at what happened and nobody really knows anything and so um i wasn't finding that where it was like okay let's wait until the the they catch the person who did it and indict them or you know and then go to trial and list the entire case in trial of how this person got in and what they did and what they damaged and who the uh, you know fbi was that investigated it and how they found this person and all this stuff like from beginning to end what is that whole story of the breach tell it to me that way and i think that's so much more effective and helpful at me understanding things and it's a good story along the way you're you're on the edge of your seat you're intrigued and i just wasn't finding that and so i thought okay I don't think I could ever make that, so that's just not going to happen. But this, the 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 idea just never left my head, and so I said, "Oh crap! I guess I have to make this sort of thing." <laughs> and I started reading books. I was really inspired by people like Ira Glass and Ninety Nine Percent Invisible and Radio Lab. These kind of shows that have the music behind it and the, and the journalism and and this kind of thing. And so I had to learn all that kind of stuff, and um, yeah, just gave it a shot and saw some people were interested right away so it was all all, all gas no breaks and it, it definitely works because as a listener the uh, the fact that as you say the, the the story runs not not even to the end but almost beyond the end you're you're picking up information that happens sometime after the the, the finale if you like and that, that really adds uh, a feel to it it's 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 very exciting listening. I, I have to be honest. I do, I do get very into the stories, which I'm sure is is what your intention was. Gonna, are we going to say yeah. that's kind of the point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to learn some really, um, you know, clever storytelling tricks. Where, um, you know, I would there, there's a lot of storytelling po uh, conferences, podcast books on how to be a better storyteller. And like one, one of the things is like how to make your listener levitate and just kind of like be on the edge of your seat. And, and how do you get that? What are those tricks? And then what are, the, like, what are the chemicals in the brain that are fired after you get to that point of like, what's gonna happen next, right? And so like I was getting down to that level of like, okay, what are the formulas here for storytelling? And then just putting it in the pie and seeing how it worked. And, some of it was just really good and some of it i was learning not to do again or whatever so uh, yeah it was just a matter of, of learning the craft and, and getting good at it excellent i think it's really interesting um what do you think kind of makes a good podcast not that we're trying to get tips to you know get better but what what do you think we makes are trying to podcast? get tips we are trying <laughs> to get tips I, I i personally love seeing people's passion in a podcast and you can kind of sniff it out if you you, if you look for it, it's right. Like some people are just too what they're doing, and it's you get bored listener. But if somebody's just really into talking about, and they're just they're so excited about it, and and they just can't get enough of it, um, you know that that brings a level of, of electricity to the show that uh, shines through. So that's kind of my favorite 
favorite thing to look for when I'm listening for a podcast? I think that's kind of pertinent in terms of what people look for when they're employing people in cyber as well. Like I always, I head up a mentoring program at a cyber academy and I always say to the students, like, you really need to show that you're passionate about the industry and about what you're doing because that's the kind of thing that shines through and that's the kind of thing that makes you an interesting candidate. So I guess it's kind of a similar a similar thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to have that passion as well and, and security and that never-ending curiosity. Mm -hmm. Are you still working as a, as a security engineer, Jack, or is this or is Darknet Diaries your full-time career uh, so i started diaries while i was working and starting to feel burnt i mean we got bought out a new company and the new management was just not in this world if you ask me and <laughs> you know how it goes so um it was it was one of those things where it was like uh there's a lot of changes happening at work and just like they've given me a project um, to build a sock and they didn't really give me enough resources. They, they gave me like three people and said, make this 24 seven, 365 sock. I said, I can't do it with three people. Like there's just, uh, how am I supposed to stop? Like, <laughs> everyone gets an hour shift and no breaks ever. Um, and we're only like one one single thread, like, it's just not possible. So, um, you know, I was arguing with them constantly and just kind of tired of the whole thing and um, started, a, started a podcast. It was starting to go good. And so, um, this was around the time when Bitcoin had jumped up from like a few thousand dollars to twenty thousand dollars per Bitcoin, and I had one Bitcoin, and so I sold it right at the peak there, like eighteen, nineteen thousand, and uh, quit my job, and that gave me like a three month buffer to try to get the podcast uh, profit. Well, not so much profitable, but allow me to live because um, it was still still like a single you know player game it was just me doing the whole thing mm -hmm. uh so yeah that um three months process you know three months of just taking a break um at the end i was i got my first sponsor so it was just barely squeaked by and that was enough to uh and i was i was actually applying to places like okay uh i might need a job <laughs> in a month um so just keep me in in mind or something right so um but it eventually turned out that the um uh, the podcast started to become profitable um and and yeah that's what i do full-time now is just is the show and it does make more now than i was as an engineer so it was worth the switch <laughs> that's that's encouraging to hear amy we've got a chance yeah we might make it you never know <laughs> oh, I don't think so. if, if you weren't doing darknet diaries jack what um what do you think you would be doing i mean obviously you you left um you left your engineer role for for those reasons that, that uh, work wasn't where you wanted to be, um, and you had something else to go to. But but if Darknet Diaries now were to, to fold up or or you decide that it's it's run its course, where do you think you would like to be next? I guess. Well, I well, I think what this has done is it's opened the door for me that I can be a creator. I could just make fun stuff and have a good time with it right so it's given me an audience that i can pitch my next thing to it's given me a following on social media and with that i whatever i do next i can just say hey check it out and i can immediately have some sort of success right so if i write a book or do a, a class or something like that um you know the, the, there, there can be already you know a, a running start i guess 
And so, you know, that's that's kind of the things in my head is maybe a different podcast, a book, a class. Um, video games are fine ideas, but I don't know if I have any ability to do that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, th those are those are the fun creative things. But I mean, passionately, or, you know, just if it wasn't for being a creator, I think, um, you know, going to there's a few things that I was thinking about, like I liked my job, but there were a few things that could have pulled me away from it, right? Um, it, it would have been working for something I'm really passionate about, like maybe a non nonprofit that I just really want to see a change in the world and I have the ability to help them out or working for a very technical, highly advanced company that's just really pushing the, the forefront of technology. Like that would have been exciting. Um, I think those two things probably would have... Uh, you know, tempted me to go in those paths. So something in, in that realm, but probably doing security work. Mm. So you're obviously, well, I'm guessing from your past, you're a blue teamer, right? Yeah, yeah um, defending, yes. Yeah, but a lot, like a lot of the people that you interview on the podcast are red teamers. So my question is, what do you think is cooler, red teaming <laughs> or blue teaming? Well, my heart's with the blue team. I, I like it um, because there is some, I don't know, there's something about just let's lock it down and, and, and be safe here and, and all this kind of stuff that's that's exciting. And you wait for the attack and you uh, you, you hunt for the, uh, the uh, you know, the attacker in the network. And it's fun to just kind of know your own domain and, mm. and, and, and feel it and hear it and, and be familiar with it to, to know when something is off. And I feel comfortable in that space. Um, I mean, it is exciting to be that attacker, to know the ways to break through whatever and and, and that. But um, yeah, I, I do like uh, defending. Excellent. Sean will be really happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, Sean was one of our previous guests. Sean, Sean was the one who invited Jack on really Sean invited oh, Jack on Sean the podcast. Knows Jack. Jack knows Sean. Oh, fine. Mm -hmm. I won't bother doing introductions in. No. You already mm -hmm. know I'm, I'm, I'm the last man to the party. Clearly. Nothing, nothing new there. <laughs> <laughs> so just, just going back to the podcast a minute, um, who, well, if you want to tell us this, who was your favorite guest that you've had on? Or like, what's the favorite, what's your favorite story that you've told? Well, I think, you know, starting it, you have this idea in your head of what it could blossom to be someday. And um, you just kind of go through the motions at first and you look at it and you're like, like, this isn't exactly, this isn't how I pictured it, but it's going in the right direction, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, when it got, uh, maybe in year two or so, somebody reached out to me and has just got out of prison it was like, I really don't know who you are, but I was told I need to share my story with you. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't know who you are. So show me like some court records or something. And they show me this indictment. And it's um, it's part of the Xbox Underground story, right? So I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is such a crazy story. And this is where a few people broke into many different video game companies, like pretty much all the video game companies, Valve, Steam, Epic, you name it. Um, and just took early release, like versions of the video game, beta versions, before it was ready for the public, just so they could play it, and kind of for the feather in their hat, like, wow, we got access to every video game company in the world. Um, <laughs> and so it was just quite an escapade of what they did. And what, yeah, I mean, when somebody reaches out and tells you, I've got something, and it, it's just it's such an amazing story, 
And then I had to interview, I, I was like, well, can I talk to the other people involved? And sure enough, I connected with them and they shared their stories. So there are three people involved in this who told me their story. And I think that was the only way it could have been done properly too, is because if it's just one person, you're like, yeah, right, no way. But when you have three different people um, telling all the different aspects happened and then becomes, yeah, and they all got arrested and went to prison for this. It's just one of those stories that's just so unbelievable that you, there's no way that it's true, yet there's all the evidence that shows it is. Um, so yeah, that one, that one is pretty much my uh, most popular one. It was just so much work and it was so much effort and it, there was so many characters and moving pieces. I actually had to draw multiple pieces of papers, timelines and maps and connecting who, because everyone in this world has like, three names. They have their real name and then they have like their hacker name, but then they have the nickname that their friends go by. So you can hear me like saying, wait, you, you called him this, but isn't his name this or something? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, we go by we go by either name or whatever. Okay, okay, it's so hard to keep track. So yeah, that one is really fun. The other one is Operation Glowing Symphony. And this is when I was at DEF CON and I was just talking to some people and I got a tap on my shoulder and it was the NSA. And I was like, what? And they're like, you, you want a, a story from the NSA? And I was like, well, yeah but the NSA is not talking and they're like, I think I can make it happen. And so I was like, okay. So this guy went to General Nakasone and said, well, this is what we want to do. We want to give this story on Darknet Diaries. And um, you know, he, he, he went to bat for me there because he was such a fan of the show and wanted to share this story. And the story was actually out because it was a, a, a public records request, you know, a FOIA mm -hmm. request. Yeah. So it did become out. And so it wasn't like I broke some story that the NSA did. It was it was already out for a while. It just so happened that somebody inside was able to tell it officially. And that was just such an exciting moment, too. I mean, that's that's pretty much what I pictured. It's like if a nation state actor could come on my show and just tell us what they did, that would be so cool. And here it was on the like officially, like after that was recorded, I actually had to send it back to the NSA and get General Nakasone's approval that this is going to be uh, published. And they uh, they had some some things that they wanted to take out, not much um, just in in terms of like how they did something specifically they didn't like, or, you know, they wanted that removed, but pretty much um, most of the moving pieces were, were still left in and, and it was very exciting. And I was just like, wow, this is unbelievable that I actually got to capture this. And when you have good audio and you're, you're getting it and you it's like, there's just, that's one of my favorite parts of the whole thing because there's like chills that go up your spine and you're like, I can't believe I'm recording this. I can't believe this is going to go in my show. This is like the most exciting thing I've ever heard ever in audio. <laughs> and, and it just makes it so much fun to do. It must feel really good that people want to use your podcast as the platform for kind of telling their story as well. Like they want to come and chat to you because they know that you've got a big following and that like their side of the story will be able to come out and people listen to it rather than do you, know, do you know what I mean yeah and and I think they know I give a fair like shake to it right it's not like um I come on and I say encryption is bad and and these guys can hack your car and your and your phone and everything like I I have a more realistic understanding of what it is like oh okay you just you just downloaded this script and ran it that's kind of that's kind of script kiddies level stuff, right? That's not even yeah. like hard hard to do. And so I can actually like, you know, banter with them and call them out, uh, but also like give them a good, uh, you know, representation of what happened. And it's not, 
you, you, you might tell another journalist and they just don't understand at all. So um, I think they appreciate that, you know, I understand this tech world enough to, uh, f you know, walk us through what, what happened as well. And I, uh, yeah, I think at first I was really worried of asking somebody like, tell me about that worst experience ever in your life of <laughs> the time when you were arrested for hacking or <laughs> got breached or whatever. And I was just really worried about asking somebody that, right? But um, pretty early on, I realized that people have never told their story and it just feels really cathartic and um, therapeutic to to just let it all out. And, and when somebody really is interested, like I am, and we sit down for hours and we just say, wait, what did that actually feel like? when you know you pushed enter <laughs> like did you sleep at all that night or what was that what was the next five hours of your life like after that happened um you know and, and they never nobody's ever asked them that so it's just kind of really um enjoyable for them to actually uh let it out sometimes mm. this this leads quite nicely actually because you obviously do have uh, a security background you you are knowledgeable in the uh, the topics that you're talking about and people are telling you. But somebody actually asked us through Twitter how you then sort of, if you like, convert that to make it accessible to the layperson. Because you, you do have a wonderful talent for taking what are potentially quite complex uh, situations and making them very easy to grasp for everyone. Is that something that you consciously work towards or is that just a, a natural talent that you seem to have acquired? Nope, I uh, practiced it. So um, seven years before making a podcast, I was blogging about security. And basically I was, you know how it is. You, you hit a problem in, in the world of tech, you Google it and there's no answer. Like how could this error code not have a single Google <laughs> results ever? Like, <laughs> why did they put this error code in if there's no like documentation of this error code, right? So you're off the map of Google. And you have to figure it out on your own. And this is where I would blog, right? Like, okay, if you hit this error code, this is what it means. And this is all that, right? And so, you know, I have articles or more of, of this kind of stuff. And as I'm, as I'm explaining this through my typing, through my words, visually on the page, all this stuff, it gave me so much practice to get it explained quickly. And of course, at the same time, I'm reading all kinds of technical books and I'm hating or technical blogs and I'm hating when they have four pages of nonsense and then the answer is at the bottom or uh, totally obscure somewhere in the text. And I'm just like, how come I read it three times and I didn't find the answer, but someone else read it and said, yeah, the answer is right here. Like that is not good, right? So I was just looking at like, what, how does good technical writing look? And what would I want to see if I was coming to this page? And I'd want to see the answer right at the beginning. This is the answer. If you're looking for something right now, here's what here's the command. You, and then I would explain it later, like, okay, and this is what that command means. And this is what else you can do and that kind of other thing, right? So I was really trying to make it as simple as I can with this is what you need to do to fix it. And, and that, I mean, yeah, seven years of, of doing that. And I would look back at old articles and see oh, people are coming here not because they're hitting that problem, because they have a similar problem, and this does solve it, but it's not quite what they want. And so I would kind of revisit some of these old posts and make it even easier to understand or more broad or whatever. So, yeah, I think that um, just writing it out and, of course, giving talks and, and lunch and learns and presentations to the team, I really wanted to explain things as most effectively as I can. Because there was a time 
where I went to DEF CON and I was so blown away at all the different security problems and I brought it back to the office and I was trying to tell everyone the sky is falling and I literally had people falling asleep in my in my talk right? in the <laughs> office. I'm like, how are you sleeping during this? This is so crazy and exciting to me. Uh, so I, I was just always trying to be just more effective at, at communication and, and stuff to make it not wasting people's time and, and, and be exciting and, and be informative and you know, all this kind of stuff. So yeah, 10 years of being a security engineer, I, did, I do think um, helped just that in general. I think that's really interesting because we spoke to Sean when he came on the podcast a couple of weeks ago about like, so the fact it's Cyber Awareness Month it won't be when this podcast goes out, but it is the end of Cyber Awareness Month now. And we were saying like the fact that we even have to have a Cyber Awareness Month is because we have so much bullshit in this industry where it's like acronyms about everything or everything's abbreviated or everything's got a stupid name. Like we were saying multi-factor authentication. It is just a number. You just type in a number. Why don't we just call it a number instead of multi <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, that like if we just yeah, boiled it down to like the most basic concepts possible then more people might get on board with it and kind of understand it but we have this whole cyber awareness month where everyone's meant to be aware of things but we're not making them aware of anything other than a load of stupid acronyms i also have to say yeah, i think outside of the cyber industry i don't think anyone's aware of cyber awareness month no probably not <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's gone far <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a maybe maybe next year we'll do september is the cyber awareness month month <laughs> and then it will actually do the cyber yeah. awareness month <laughs> uh, that yeah that's that's a possibility <laughs> <laughs> so jack you you touched on earlier um a situation where you said um some guys basically just come out of jail uh, been told to meet up with you or, or, or introduce himself to you and, and uh, get his story. Have you have you ever been in a situation where you've been talking to somebody or you've been gathering information or, or getting your recordings and you've um, you felt uncomfortable with what you're hearing, either either legally or morally or how how have you dealt with that? Yeah, there, there has been, and I'd have to stop people and I'd say, listen. Um, here's here because you're right. There's some people who divulge crimes to me, and um, I've got to figure out what that is, right? And and sort of early on, in in as I learned how to be a journalist, because I don't really have it. There's no certification for journalism and, and license or anything. It's just kind of like uh, you can just call yourself that. Um, so I was really trying to figure out like what are the ethics in journalism, and um, you know something I've adopted is. If somebody tells me about a crime that they're going to commit, then that does put a burden on me. Of I'm, I may have to report this. If somebody, if some life is going to be in danger, or if somebody's going to, you know, be hurt from from what they're going to do, um, then that's something I don't want to hear. So if, if I think the conversation is going that way, I say, look, do not tell me about anything you're going to do in the future, at all, <laughs> or what you're going to do next, because I don't want to know. I don't want that obligation on my head at all, and I don't want the ethics to deal with the ethics of it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the the big thing that I've got to be careful of is telling telling me what you did in the past. Okay, whatever. Um, I'm not gonna, um, you know, to be be too worried about that because I, I I was at first, but yeah, I just kind of gave up on that because that's already done. Um, it's it's the stuff that 
you are going to tell me you might do in the future is is where I have to draw the line. So I just try not to uh, let them tell me anything, and then it's safe enough. Or or yeah. I, I, and the other thing is I I have protect I have tried to protect um, sources in in many ways by like you know using secure communications with some of them because we don't use their names and we change their voices in some of them and we. Um, we communicate in, in a way that I can delete all records of, of their, you know, connection. So, um, yeah, I mean, we've done, we've done some stuff like that as well. It, it, I, I can only imagine um, that it must be quite a, a peculiar situation to find yourself in. I mean, we, we obviously, Amy and I are starting out in, in podcasts or whatever we is that we're doing video podcast. I don't know what this is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we are, do we are frankly worry. still making it up as we go along although i think we hide it very well um <laughs> but if you know in 10 years time we could end up in a situation very different to, to where we are now and um that that idea is is quite bizarre to me the fact that you could have shifted to i mean you you, you are doing some really high level journalism journalistic investigation with what you're reporting it's um yeah it's, it's way beyond the podcast in, in many ways i think yeah it's more like investigative journalism crossed with that's what i meant that's not what you meant wasn't it yeah Not journalistic you're investigations like, you're, like, you're like the louis theroux of the cyber world jack <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if you know who louis theroux is but he's, he's a very famous journalist in the uk <laughs> okay okay there's a there's a different Louis Thoreau over here who is uh, an old an old cowboy writer. <laughs> Story. No, not him. Yeah, not uh, him. The, guy, you know Justin Thoreau, who wait, uh, Jennifer Aniston went out with for a while, is his cousin, but he's like a really famous investigative journalist mm. in the UK. It's kind of like the Hunter S. Thompson of the modern generation. So it's a compliment. I probably yeah, and and what's in. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting of to to hear that because I don't really do much investigative work. Simply collect all the articles that came out, right? So I'm not right? to me what investigative is. It's uncovering new stuff that hasn't come out, and very rarely do that. I have taken a couple episodes on where I'm like, let's let's get some hard answers answered, right? And I'm gonna call them some people up. But it's really all the stuff that's out there, and I'm just putting it together and presenting it to you. Um, but but I do it in such a way that people do think I am discovering this because they haven't heard it. They don't think it's been reported in any way or anything. And, and if you look on my website, there's like a hundred sources of information where I'm getting stuff from. Mm -hmm. um, so they just haven't seen this kind of reporting. But what's fascinating is like pretty much whenever uh, a major story comes up, like the solar winds incident or anything at all, I'll have like a hundred emails in my inbox saying, oh, I can't wait for you for this. When is it coming out? When is it coming out? And I'm just like, I don't have some sort of magic wand that can tell me who did this, what the FBI are dealing with, what the companies are handling. Like I have to wait two or three years to know all this. And I have to really rely on other journalism people to uh, journalists to, to uncover the, the truth of it all. Yeah. So um, yeah, like it's, it's amazing that people think that I'm on the edge of that. I was going to ask like how much research do you have to put into each episode because 
I'm not going to lie for you for our podcast. You're the only person that we've even prepped any questions for. I think so. We do not. We do nothing. <laughs> People just turn up and we're like, yeah, we'll think of something to ask them. Um, but yeah, so this is this is the most prepared I've ever been. But I think you are a lot more <laughs> organized than we are. Yeah, I mean, I've I've watched hundreds of videos from conferences because I'm always trying to scrounge up like good stories and i've uh, i have a researcher now that i just say go tell me everything about this person and then they'll go find you know every interview ever and every thing they've written and you know everything's written about them and give me a timeline and a bio and stuff like that so yeah tons of research go into uh going to every story if uh if it's possible sometimes hmm. not possible because somebody's telling me a story that's never been told so I, all i can do is listen and then try to co uh, corroborate the facts afterwards by um, you know, calling their friends or family or, or seeing, you know, seeing something else that correlates to it. Yeah, I was going to say, do you ever get told stories? Like, I'm assuming people approach you to kind of tell you their story. Do you ever get told stories and you're like, mm, is that true? Did you really do that? Like, is there any times when that, that kind of happens? Yeah, it, it, and that's what I, I think I'm in the right position where I can sniff it out because I, I understand technology and security mm -hmm. enough to know that there is that's not a thing or, you know, the, I, 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 like the, like there was one one guy who who um, claimed that he was one responsible for a major botnet attack. And it, he tells me he's like a teenager living at home with his parents and um I'm like, well, let me talk to your parents. <laughs> let me see what their their opinion of you is, right? And he's like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, okay, listen, I'm not going to tell him about the botnet or anything like that. But it's 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 one of those things because he was he was claiming that he 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 sells his botnet, and you know anybody who wants to use it, and so he makes all this money and he's got all these cars and he's showing me pictures of these cars, and I'm like, I think that's your dad's car. I don't think that's yours. Let me talk to your dad. <laughs> Right. So, so I have to push on people in this way. Um, and it's and yeah, I haven't aired that one. I don't know what to do with it. But um, yeah, I mean, I do get people telling me stories that uh, I, I just can't confirm. And like well, a huge story that I just haven't been able to confirm at all um, is is like a rock in my heart. It's it's an amazing story, but there's just no way to prove any of it. And so mm. it's just one of those that. Uh, it's um, it's just what what do you do with it? And you know, I talk to other journalism journalists, and they just say you have to you have to verify it if you're going to publish it on the show. And so I, yeah. I just can't verify it in any way, shape, or form. So um, it's it's something that needs to get out someday, but uh, I just don't know what to do with it now. There was a really cool story that came out in the news today about a teenager that managed to make. I don't know if you saw it, Rob. Oh, I sent you it earlier, didn't I? Um, yeah. so, so in the UK, there's like this website called Love to Shop, and they basically do like coupons for like all of the major UK retailers, and you can kind of buy them. Like people buy them for Christmas for people, or companies buy them to give them as gifts to employees or whatever. Um, and this kid who was like 16 or 15 or 16, I think he was, over lockdown, had decided that he was going to set up a a website that mimicked the Love to Shop website. He then paid for a Google ad so that his website came up higher in the Google searches than the actual website. <laughs> Then he got all their details, redirected them to the actual Love to Shop website and scammed people out of like 350 grand. Um, but that was not the clever bit. The clever bit is he then invested it in Bitcoin and made 2.3 million. 
<laughs> I was like, this is brilliant. I think you should get a high five. <laughs> he got he got he got all 2.3 million took off of him, and I felt really bad because I feel like he should get to keep his profits because he invested. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. He probably should have kept should have kept his profits. But this, the thing I've I've heard is like sometimes uh, criminals go to prison like five ten years ago, who had like a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars in Bitcoin. And then they come out of prison millionaires because yeah. they still have their Bitcoin. And now they're like, okay, <laughs> it's worth a lot more. I probably would have sold it 10 times over by now, but I wasn't able to because I was in prison. <laughs> and now it's uh, it's really gone up. So uh, that's a funny story I hear sometimes. That would be very cool. I think, <laughs> I I think it's, I think on that note, actually, it's now time to move to the news because I've just checked the time. Jack, would you like to introduce the news for us? The news. Oh, the news. I, yes, I can't wait to hear what the news is. Um, uh, what uh, what stories are we digging in today? I don't know. Let's go find out. Bong! Here's the news. First up, the story that the UK's biggest fishing retailer, Angling Direct, was hit with a cyber attack which redirected shoppers to an adult website. The firm's Twitter account was also compromised to reference a porn website. Cybersecurity experts were brought in to tackle the problem, which it said the company fell for hook, line, and sinker. We're pleased to say no personal data was fished as part of the breach, and that fortunately, shoppers looking for fishnets were still able to be serviced on the redirected website. Next up, the news that US trading platform Robinhood has been compromised by a phishing attack against one of its customer service agents leaking up to 7 million client names and more in-depth data on approximately 310 customers. Law enforcement agents are currently looking for a tall guy called Little John, a drunken vicar, and Kevin Costner in relation to the attack. And finally, Romanian police, in conjunction with the US Department of Justice and Europol, have arrested three people in connection with their activities to the Reval Ransomware Group, which is now said to be mostly disbanded due to pressure from global law enforcement. <laughs> you stay safe in InfoSec community. Okay, so we are back from the news. Um, hopefully it was exciting because we don't know what it was when we were recording it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> organized as ever. Um, so, Jack, we were talking in that brief interlude about the Pirate Bay episode. So do you want to tell us, like, give us a quick background for anyone that's kind of not listened to it, and then, yeah, we'll go from there. Yeah, the, the Pirate Bay, I think, was one that just caught me off guard. I I had been familiar of, you know, the um, the, the wary scene and the, the piracy scene for, for quite a while, um, and, and Pirate Bay was, was, you know, on the forefront of that for quite a while. But then um, I don't know if it was just. I think. I mean, it's it's fascinating to kind of watch all this unfold, right? So when we were younger, I think piracy was probably more prevalent, and it was, you know, especially when we don't have money and we're just like we want to listen to music too. And there wasn't there wasn't options like Spotify and Netflix and stuff like that. So you either yeah, I had, had LimeWire, which I'm pretty sure I downloaded music and viruses to my laptop. <laughs> yeah, definitely did. <laughs> Um, yeah, so so once I think once like the industry started giving people what they wanted at a fair price and respectfully, mm -hmm. like 
it it the piracy piracy went way down, right? So with Spotify and Netflix, you now had you know seven ninety nine. You could watch all the shows you wanted, and it had quite a bit of it of content. So it was mm -hmm. cool, and you know Spotify gave you all the music you wanted for free. So you didn't have to go take it anymore. And I it think, was like, do you, do you not think that that kind of happened because we had like the connectivity to enable that to happen though? Because like Spotify. You wouldn't have been able to stream Spotify on a on a dial-up yeah. connection. That would have been fun. <laughs> yeah, it's fun to see all these pieces come together to make the world be what it is. Like, um, like I don't think a Tesla car could have been around twenty years ago, right? It's only with the newest technology that you can have this kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's wild to see all these pieces just come together at the same time. But it's it's also fascinating to look at how much canceled <laughs> Pirate Bay was attempted to be. And so I, I did a whole episode on this and I interviewed one of the founders and um, it, it was just, it's wild to hear their just attitude of like, yeah, um, you know, we, we think, uh, we think the world should have access to music and movies and it shouldn't cost you $2 billion. If you wanted to get every movie and, and song, it should be, it should be affordable in some way. And mm -hmm. if it's not going to be affordable, we'll just make it free or something like that. Right. So uh, you know, it, it, and, and it's wild. So, um, yeah, it's just interesting to hear that. But I mean, if anyone who's trying to be canceled in, in, like, anyway, I think the Pirate Bay is probably the king of this. I mean, they've been shut down and shushed away and, and arrested and, and pushed out and down some more. And, you know, even, <laughs> like, governments around the world have, have tried to cancel Pirate Bay. And yet Pirate Bay is still up and fine today. I don't know if they've ever suffered more than a three-day outage this whole time. So uh, it's wild to see that they still hold on with all this. Clearly some like enterprise organizations, governments, like nation states could all be taking advice from Pirate Bay on how to defend your environment, I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How to stay up. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. When you see like some of these... Um, Places getting attacked or shut down, or something, and they just don't do very well. Uh, it, the pirate bay just laughs at them. Like, man, these are such amateurs. You can't stay, can't keep your side up. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of neat to just to see that. So that was, I think, that was one of the top five uh, most downloaded episodes too. People really love that one. Mm. So we've kind of talked about the podcast a lot, which. It's been really interesting, but I think it'd be good for the listeners to kind of hear what do you do kind of outside of the podcast? Um, is there any kind of interest you have or? Oh, wow. So I think with the pandemic, it's kind of like reset my whole psyche, like looked internally and revisited like all my beliefs and morals and ethics and, and, and questioned them. Like, is this really the side that I want to be on? And is this the good, like good versus evil in the world has got me all wondering because good sometimes is evil and evil is sometimes good. And it's just a necessary evil and all these things. And so, you know, this path is just taking me into studying psychology and philosophy and a lot about consciousness. So I've been doing a lot of meditating now and um, just trying to explore who the heck am I? Like when you, when you close your eyes, and you try to just imagine who you are, where is that Where is that seat? Is that seat like right above your eyes in your head somewhere of who you are? 
because there, it really isn't anywhere, but you kind of just picture it to be near your eyes because you see with the world with your eyes, right? So mm -hmm. it's just, it's a weird thing to, to explore and it's very deep and it's wild. And this has taken me to all new ideas. I've got like an idea for like a YouTube series now that combines consciousness and philosophy with technology like you've seen all these youtube videos of like here's how you set up a raspberry pi but there's no like youtube video of why you feel like you should set up a raspberry pi <laughs> what's that thing in you that says i'm gonna buy this thing and then you get it and then you do nothing with it and then why have you done why have you done that like 50 times in your life where you've got some piece of technology and you opened it and you felt good about it at the moment and then it just kind of sits there not doing anything what is that what is that inside of us that makes us want to do this and so a whole youtube series i have in my head of exploring that and like another one might be um trying to program code something and it's you can't even like install the compiler and you want you have this idea that you want to program something but you're still stuck you're just stuck on the basics of just the mechanics of getting to the first character and typing out like you can't get that far um, because there's something going on with your uh, dependencies or your something. And so there's this struggle internally that we have to overcome. We have to get over this stuff just to get <laughs> just to get the software installed sometimes takes days. And, but, but, and then what's the difference between those people who can tolerate that crap and go through it and get there versus the people who give up? And it's, it's kind of exploring all this stuff of what does it take? What's that grit? that it takes to be a modern person today to get through this. Uh, yeah, this is the kind of stuff that I've just been really thinking about a lot. I think like mental health and like, I guess uh, to an extended, in an extended way, kind of psychology has come up in pretty much every podcast <laughs> in this series. Like it's, it's come up quite a lot. Like, so we talked with Jason Street, I want to say last week, cause I can't remember the order that we were I think it's last week. Um, and he, we were originally just talking to him about like social engineering, but that kind of developed into a talk around like mental health and kind of burnout and loads of interesting kind of things around like yeah, the psychology of being in this industry is it is really difficult. So like we were talking, we were talking to Dave Kennedy about why lots of military people cross over into the cybersecurity industry, and it's because they have that kind of mental resilience and the ability to kind of think outside the box and think under pressure, and you've got an issue now, and you've got to fix it now. And that's, it's like, that. that's, yeah, that's kind of the reason why we, why we, I think that's why we summarised that military people make a great uh, asset to the cyber industry. But yeah, Amongst the, other things, but yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it comes, but it's like, it's, yeah. an, it's a thing that comes up a lot, like mental health and this industry, and I don't know whether it's, Maybe because I'm not in any other industry, so I don't know whether it comes up a lot in other industries too. Well, I think one of the things is that, at least for me, tons of problems are thrown at me. Like it, it, it's just when I come to work, it was like, here are the problems that you have to deal with today, and it's like it's not like um, you have to prepare like a, a invoice or something. That's not a problem. It's like this network is down or this program's not running or something, mm. and you just are only given problems you're never given something nice you're only given problems so it's just constant negativity is coming at you of like this is broken this is 
screwed up this is whatever and you just have to constantly fix it so even, even in the offensive side you're still getting a problem because you, like you're not getting something's broken and you've got to fix it now but you're getting this thing might not be broken go try and break it yeah like it's like the opposite it's like, you know like like you said you're always getting you're always getting problems you're not getting just like some nice calm admin which to be fair in sales i always leave my admin until friday afternoon because i fucking hate it but now maybe you've made, <laughs> maybe you've made me reconsider admin is actually just like a no problem thing i can just deal with it <laughs> yeah, it I is interesting i do i do think it's something to do with this industry having i have worked in other industries amy uh, and jack that's that's, uh, a, that's a surprise it's almost like you're old enough to have done that we're not going down that road today. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, I have worked. And it, it does seem that um, people are far more uh, aware of, of mental health. And I, I think there's an element of it internationally anyway. I think the pandemic has made people rethink things generally. But certainly the events industry, unfortunately whilst i was in it there was very little time for people to care how you were because frankly if you can't make today's work you're causing problems for everyone and i'm not saying that that's a good thing because clearly it's not but unfortunately the the nature of the industry was such that it happens now this minute so yeah i i i, I do think the cybersecurity industry has been particularly good at picking up on people's well-being and making that a part of of part of the whole package i think it's really good. i think like i think like meditation and that whole kind of mental wellness thing though really does help like me and maggie always like my sorry jeff my daughter's called margo so i'll call her maggie um she's four years old and like after she's had a bath and stuff we always have like quiet time so it's kind of like we come downstairs and we turn the lights down low and we just kind of make it like really calm before bedtime because you just need that like time to just switch off i think I mean, on a Thursday, it doesn't happen because on a Thursday, I'm usually watching the yeah. podcast. But the rest of the time, every other day of the week, um, we go, yeah, she goes in the bath at the same time. And then we have like a, we have like quiet time to kind of re recharge your brain, kind of get ready to go to sleep and stuff like that. And it's, I think it, I think it really helps. Like, even at the age of four, you can see like the difference in it between like before she goes in the bath and after she comes out of the bath. Like, just having like, like 10, 15 minutes where you've just been like, right now it's quiet. Yeah. Yeah, and there's this um, there's this endless chatter in your head of uh, of just somebody talking constantly, and what the heck is going on there, right? I mean, they, they pretty much follow you around your entire house, nonstop talking. Like, <laughs> oh, did you remember to do this? Oh, hey, you didn't send this email. Oh, hey, look at that. Looks good. You should tr try to take a bite of that right now. Like, there's just like it's just constant, and so what what I'm battling with is just getting that thing to shut up and. If I can control that, mm -hmm. I feel like I'll be a lot um, more effective and calm and focused because this thing isn't just constantly distracting me. Now I can choose <laughs> what it is I want to focus on. That's and um, yeah, so that's what meditation does for me is it, it tries to just give that thing, um, give that thing recognition like, okay, I hear you're there, but I'm going to just quiet you down for a moment I'm and not gonna work on that. Right? I'm not going to lie, kind of consciousness. your inner voice does sound like my four-year-old because she does what around saying shit like that constantly. So, yeah, that's why we do quiet time because mummy needs a <laughs> <as> well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but get yeah. a break from yourself too because yeah. that's what you need sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's when I go for a long walk. Two hours, 
wandering aimlessly around the countryside, <laughs> <laughs> not hearing children needing things. Yeah, and I, I feel like a long walk like that, the, the, the distance you travel there is just kind of the dump out of stuff that you had to just let go of. And then the walk back is the is pumping up the well of like okay let's get the let's get to the stuff i really need to think about <laughs> and that's where the ideas come from as the walk back well i'll have to i'll have to concentrate that on that next time next time i'm out and have a think yeah. if that's how, it, it's, uh, how it plays I, it's, it's funny how we, we it's funny how we, we just don't think about these things as much, right? We just kind of feel like our bodies are, are going and it's fine. And that's kind, of, uh, that's kind of what I've been focusing on is like, where do these ideas come from? What is, what is my emotional state now? Why, what's my mental uh, chatter going on? And why the heck is it there? Like there's so many times where a song pops into my head or a thought about, oh, all of a sudden I'm thinking about this person from high school that I haven't thought about in 20 years. And why is this now? Why did that just show up now? What part of my consciousness decided this is the time to think about this when there's nothing, there's no external like trigger that said that, you know, like you have well, to think about this now. Do you not think there's like, there's, there's no external trigger that you can, that you can consciously think of, but maybe there's like some subconscious trigger. Like sometimes you smell something and then you think of like something from like 20 years ago that you've not thought about for ages. Like, right. I, like, like, I can still smell Harry Potter books. So if, sometimes if I open a new <laughs> book and I'm like, oh my God, I'm 13 again and I'm reading Harry Potter for the first time. <laughs> like, this is amazing. Yeah. And I love, I, I'd love, I do love those kind of connections that your brain makes. So yeah, I get what you mean about like where stuff comes from in your head and like how it all connects. And I think it's really interesting. It would be wonderful yeah. if you could harness it and have a whole load of, of triggers in pots or however you'd have to do that. So you could, you know, I, I want to be creative today. So I'm just going to have a sniff of whatever's in this pot. And that's that's going to trigger my creativity. It sounds like you're taking drugs there, Rob. Let's not go down that road. <laughs> okay. And again, so so this, this, this is a very, uh, this, this is making a change. Just so you know, Jack, we apparently, and I, I would argue it, I have a talent for offending our guests. Mm. I, I would say every, this is not something that I do. Every single week, every week. But it would appear that today Amy's decided to pick on me. How lovely. What a joy. Makes a difference. <laughs> Mixing it up a bit. Yeah, absolutely. I'll have a sniff of my, I'll get back at you. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop stop trying to link to sniffs. It's not there's it's gonna it's gonna go wrong for me, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and on that note <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, uh on our very professional podcast, <laughs> Jack, is there a final thought that you have about any of the weird and wonderful topics that we've once again managed to cover anything from i don't know but like top tips for podcasting <laughs> or networking or meditation, meditation. Or, i don't know like anything that you kind of want to finish the podcast on in a highlight yeah well, I, I i'll just encourage everyone to to try to meditate five minutes a day and try, it, you'll learn something about yourself if, if nothing else Excellent. What a lovely That's note. That's fantastic. Yes. 
So it's been an absolute pleasure having you here, Jack. And I very much appreciate your time because we know you're very busy. Um, so thank you very much. And don't forget, everyone, to tune in next week for someone that I'll book. I don't know, sometime soon. <laughs> we'll and they may or may not be introducing themselves in a moment. Oh, yeah. May it, or may depends not if we keep that going. If we do that again. <laughs> Yeah, we, we're, we're trying different formats. <laughs> um, Jack, this has been yeah, a pleasure. It's fun to experiment. It takes a while to find your voice. It does. We're mixing it up a bit every week. We like it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in terms of finding a, a voice, it would be nice if we could find a voice other than Amy's, but we'll see where we go with that. Mm. Jack, genuinely an absolute right. an absolute pleasure thank you so much for joining and, us and you know if you ever want me or rob on your podcast about how we've hacked the podcast industry then we're free. <laughs> <laughs> you you could um you could talk about the time you broke out of the paper bag amy could do it's not gonna last long though is it no <laughs> right <laughs> You are a gentleman, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, and we will see you all next week. Hey, everybody. I'm from Zebras to Scousers. Hey, there, there you go. Every day's a school day for you. My name is Ian Murphy. I'm CEO of CyberOff. And I'm looking forward to talking to you all next week on the Zero Fucks podcast, where we talk everything from an 80s childhood in Liverpool to what a welder can teach me. Uh, about respect and growing up, and also why comedy is so useful in cybersecurity, or at least why I think comedy is so useful in cybersecurity. Looking forward to it. Take care, everyone.